minds to come to him. Revelation 1 at verse 4. Grace be unto you, and peace, from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we bow in thy presence, confessing thee to be the one, only, true, and living God, the one who is before all things, and the one whose years shall have no end. Uh, thou art the first and the last, and uh, all things, Lord, uh, come from thee, and move and live and have their being in thee. We thank thee for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, by which we have been brought unto the true knowledge of God. Uh, without him we could not know thee, not know thee truly, fully, and most importantly to be reconciled to thee. We thank thee for the blood of our Saviour Jesus Christ which has washed us, uh, those that are thy people, from their sins and made them kings and priests unto our God. Uh, Lord, we confess that so often we do not feel like kings and priests. We feel poor and lowly. We feel that we have failed thee, as indeed our God we do. But we pray that thou wouldst impress upon our hearts and minds the wonderful standing that thou hast brought thy people into, and that as thy priests and thy kings, that we will worship thee in a way that is honouring, glorifying to thee. Be with us then, Father, we pray, and help us to worship thee in spirit and in truth. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Our opening hymn is number 663. 663. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Saviour's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. 663. Grace, 
and taught us. Give us ears and give us eyes. He has washed us with his blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us sing the fierce temptations. Threaten hard to bear us down. For the Lord our strong salvation holds in view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with his blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is justice smiles and ask no more. He who washed us with his blood has secured our way to God. Let us praise you to turn with me first of all to the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 1 and then turning in the New Testament to 1 John and the first chapter. But first of all reading the book of the prophet Isaiah, the first chapter and reading the first 20 verses. Let us hear God's word together. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye? be stricken any more. Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. 
they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams, and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my course? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Then turning in the New Testament to the first epistle of John and the first chapter. John here begins his first epistle by introducing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as the word of life, uh, the life of men, and makes very clear that uh, he had had a personal uh, encounter uh, with the true Christ, the one that uh, he had witnessed. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, 
and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen and may God bless to us that reading of his own holy and precious word. We further sing to God's praise the hymn number 527. 527. How sad our state by nature is, our sin how deep it stains, and Satan binds our captive minds fast in his slavish chains. But there's a voice of sovereign grace sounds from the sacred word, Ho, ye despairing sinners come, and trust upon the Lord. 527. Strength and righteousness. 
Jesus and my own. Let us now further see God's face together in prayer. Let us all pray. O Lord our God, Thou art the eternal light. Thou dwellest in light so bright that we cannot approach unto it by ourselves. We come, Lord, to Thee, though thanking Thee, that one has come from that light into our darkness to give light to us, the light of God in the souls of men, that we may also come and dwell in that light. We thank thee for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And we thank thee, our God, if thou hast caused that wonderful gospel light to shine into our dark hearts. Lord, to give us the knowledge of our sin in the first instance, so that we might know our wretchedness, our guilt, uh, the pollution of our sin the justice of God against us, but then also, and most wonderfully, to assure us that there has been a work done uh, whereby the darkness of our souls can be purged away, uh, the guilt can be removed, and we who would otherwise be condemned to a lost eternity are, are set free by the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Well, Lord our God, we thank Thee that our Saviour ever came into this poor, dark world of sin. Uh, we will be thinking, Lord, most of us, uh, at this time of year, of the Saviour's coming as a babe at Bethlehem. Uh, but, our God, we know and we rejoice in this fact that that is not where the story ended. Uh, we thank Thee that, uh, in many ways, the story is not yet finished, because Christ will come again to receive his people unto himself. But we thank thee that he was born, that he might die, that he might die uh, the just in the place of the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. Lord, we fall again uh, in adoration and wonder and praise at thy feet uh, this morning, uh, that the Saviour went through all that he did in order to save his people from their sins. Lord, that bitter cup which he drank quite up was no small thing. It was full of the wrath of God. He took that and knew that total desolation, crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Lord, we marvel uh, that he would do that uh, for anyone, even for a good man. But Lord, he has done it for sinners. And we confess ourselves to be the chief of such. And so, our God, we rejoice once again this morning in the wonderful news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that though he died, yet he rose again uh, on the first day of the week, the first Christian Sabbath, and is exalted to the highest heaven, uh, receiving the worship of all the angelic hosts, and all the saints that have been gathered in from the beginning of time up until now, uh, daily their number increasing, uh, daily, our God, the anthem of heaven grows louder uh, because of the multitude of voices singing, worthy 
is the Lamb that was slain. And Lord, we cry also, uh, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, for he was slain for us. And so, Lord, we uh, would make it our prayer this morning that unto Christ would be blessing and wisdom and honor and glory and power, uh, both now in this world and in the age to come. We come to the our God in the midst of uh, difficult and uncertain times. Uh, we are all keenly aware of the political events of the past week, and we thank the our God that though uh, there may be some uh, uncertainty in the corridors of power in our land, yet there is no such uncertainty in heaven. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And we thank thee, our God, that uh, thou art uh, good and just and upright in all thy dealings with us. Uh, thou art never within the purview of uh, any just criticism, for thou art good and thou doest good. And we thank thee, thou dost rule thy people with kindness and with love. And we have the wonderful example of our Saviour Jesus Christ, uh, who has gone before us. And so we thank the O God that at such times of instability as this, uh, perhaps not knowing who will be in 10 Downing Street next year, uh, Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art still on Thy throne, and Thou wilt not, Thou wilt brook no rival, Thou wilt not surrender uh, Thy rule. Uh, and so we thank Thee that the powers of darkness will ultimately be defeated, and good and righteousness shall reign eternally. But we do pray for all of those that uh, represent uh, the population there in Westminster, in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Uh, we pray, our God, for uh, some integrity on the part of uh, those that appear to have been caught uh, doing other things while they instructed people to do the opposite. Uh, we pray, Lord, for a spirit of humility among those that lead us. We know we live in an age, our God, where uh, that is seen as something to be despised, particularly in those that lead. Uh, they must be full of self-confidence and a certain amount of pride. Uh, but we thank Thee uh, that our Saviour, who rules us, is the most humble Saviour, the most humble man that this world has ever known. And we pray, therefore, that Thou wouldst humble our leaders, Lord, humble them that they may be led to the truth, uh, led to the truth of the gospel, and to find forgiveness and cleansing for their sins, uh, for there is no man that sinneth not. But we pray that uh, thou wilt have mercy upon us as a country, and direct us in the way ahead. We pray that truth may uh, direct and govern every decision that is made, and Lord, in thy mercy, we pray that thou wouldst yet turn us as a people back to thyself. For, Lord, thy judgments are in the earth. Uh, thou art speaking to us. And, O oh, our God, we ask thee that uh, thou wouldst cause us to hear what thou art saying. We do pray, our God, for those that are not able to be with us this morning. We are sorry to see uh, several missing from their spaces. And we understand that there are some unwell. We pray that thou wouldst grant a gracious recovery to all those that are uh, poorly at the present time and that they'll soon be able to 
assemble again with the people of God. Be with them, Lord, in their bed of sickness. May they have many sweet meditations of thee, knowing that in all our affliction thou art afflicted, uh, and that thou didst bear and carry thy people of old, and thou dost still do the same today. Uh, we uh, pray, our God, for uh, this uh, town and the surrounding locality, uh, that thou wouldst uh, be present here, Lord, be present with thy grace and power to draw sinners unto thyself. We think of the services next Lord's Day when some invitations we trust will go out and we ask thee to accompany those invitations with the secret work of the Holy Spirit uh, to draw men to the light of the gospel. Uh, even perhaps, Lord, uh, not really knowing much and coming out of simple curiosity to find out who this Jesus of Nazareth is. Uh, Lord, we pray that thou draw one and another, that they may come under the power of the gospel. And Lord, we cry unto thee that thou would save souls. Oh, our God, how many are ignorant of the truth. They know nothing of the gospel at all. It's been taken out of national life, and there are so many that have no contact with the gospel at all. But we thank thee, our God, that we have not uh, gone beyond intellectually the gospel. We're, we're not as clever as we think we are. But we thank thee also that we have not sinned ourselves away from the gospel. For thy grace is great. And where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. And so we pray that uh, one and another will be reached with the saving news of Jesus. And that there will be conversions, Lord, in Hailsham. Uh, could it please thee before the end of this year? And Lord, we pray for the year ahead that there will be a building up of thy people in this church and other uh, gospel congregations in this town. Uh, Lord, the work of Christ may go forward. Oh, Lord, revive us. Uh, we are those that are thirsty for the riches of our God, for the felt sense of thy presence, for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, come and visit us, we pray, with thy salvation. Pour out upon us the showers of blessings uh, that we as thy people may be the people we ought to be for thee and that others may join us through our witness. So we bring these our petitions before thee. We pray that thou wouldst be with us this morning as we consider thy word. Lord, open up the scriptures to us. We pray that thou would speak to us and that the word will profit us. Whatever our situation is, uh, however we have arrived here this morning, our God, whether cast down or uh, rejoicing in thee, carefree or uh, deeply concerned about our spiritual state, uh, Lord, we pray that thou wouldst meet us at the point of thy need and that thy word would lead us to Jesus Christ and that thou wouldst enable each one of us to meet him and to know him afresh this morning. And this, Lord, we ask out of thy free grace and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Before we come to God's word, this morning we shall sing again the hymn 488, 488. Today thy mercy calls us to wash away our sin. However great our trespass, whatever we have been, however long from mercy 
our hearts have turned away. Thy blood, O Christ, can cleanse us and make us white today. 488. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Scripture that we read, Isaiah chapter 1. And the Lord help me this morning, I'd like to speak to you from verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1 and the 18th verse, well-known and familiar words to many of us, I'm sure. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. On August the 6th, 1945, in footage the world will never forget, the world's first atomic bomb exploded over the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Uh, that was followed very soon after by a renewed appeal from the American president, Harry S. Truman, for the Japanese empire to surrender. 
and thus bring an end to the hostilities of World War II that had damaged the whole globe for six years. However, there was no word from Japan. Three days later, another atomic bomb was detonated, this time over the city of Nagasaki. And then, six days after that, on August the 15th, uh, Emperor Hirohito announced in a uh, radio broadcast to the Japanese people the unconditional surrender of Japan to the Allied forces. Up until that point, Japan's war council, uh, consisting of six men, were split on what they should do. And so no decision had been made. And in the end, for the uh, interests of his people, uh, Emperor Hirohito decided to act unilaterally and give that surrender. Now, they had refused to do so up until that point because of the shame that it would bring to them, particularly in their culture. And they knew that they uh, were being asked to surrender unconditionally. Uh, they would have no say in what happened to them uh, in the aftermath of the war. They simply had to accept what the Allies dictated, however painful and costly that would be. And so, uh, three, or two to three weeks after that, on September the 2nd, uh, the Japanese delegation went on board the USS Missouri, uh, just off Japan, I believe, and there they signed formally their surrender and brought an end to World War II. Now, the sinner who has got some awareness of his sin uh, may feel that God would deal with him in the same way. His pangs of conscience go off in his mind like atomic bombs, uh, like Sinai uh, hurled forth lightning and thunder there with Moses and the children of Israel. And they fear uh, that there is nothing to be said uh, to them. Uh, they will simply have to uh, surrender unconditionally and there will be a painful uh, outcome if they uh, do that. And yet our text this morning, friends, paints a very different picture. Because God says to his sinful and to his rebellious people, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as one. Uh, the sinner fears that the, if the logic of the situation would dictate that God would treat him just like the Allies treated Japan. But the logic with which God treats sinners is very different indeed, as our text makes clear. So I'd like to speak to you this morning from this verse of Isaiah on the wonderful logic of gospel grace. The wonderful logic of gospel grace. And we see uh, this wonderful logic in three ways uh, in this text. First of all, in the invitation that is issued. Secondly, in the discussion that takes place. And thirdly, in the declaration that is given. The invitation, the discussion, and the declaration. The verse begins, come now. Come now. This verse constitutes an invitation now, although it is the prophecy of Isaiah, it was the vision that he saw in the days of those four kings that we have mentioned there in verse 1, and that helps us to date Isaiah's prophecy in the 7th century BC. 
though it is his writing, yet it is the Lord speaking through him. Uh, that is always true concerning the Lord's servants, but it's made uh, very apparent here because we have there in the middle, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. It is the Lord who says, come. And these words, or this word, come, is found so many times throughout all of Scripture. Made by the Lord and made by those who speak in his name, that his ambassadors. And the author of this invitation highlights for us the wonderful logic, the surprising logic of gospel grace, because it is God himself who issues it. Uh, who is the Lord that is spoken of here? Well, you'll notice that it's written there in all capitals. It is the covenant name of God, Jehovah, uh, or as is sometimes uh, said today, Yahweh, uh, refers to the same Hebrew word, just pronounced differently. Well, who is the Lord? Well, he is the Holy One, the one who inhabits eternity, the one whose very name is holy. And a few chapters on, Isaiah will have a vision of this Lord, of who he is. And he sees him there in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled his temple. Above it stood the seraphims, the angels. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, three times that word holy is used and doesn't refer to the members of the Trinity as much as the uh, unsurpassed holiness, the infinite holiness of God. Whenever the Hebrews want to really emphasize or underline something, they would repeat it. Uh, they didn't have highlighter pens like you and I have today if we really want to draw someone's attention to something. And that is why Jesus would say in the Gospels, verily, verily, Truly, truly, uh, what I'm about to say to you is of great importance. So pay attention. And similarly here, holy, indescribably holy, is the Lord our God. So holy that even Moses, that great man of God, could not see God. Could not see the Lord in his holiness. Because the Lord said, no man can see me and live. His holiness is so burning bright, such a consuming fire that it would consume you and I in a moment were we to come into contact with him. But it is this Lord who has extended this invitation to the sinful people of Judah. Uh, and you will have noticed, as we read Isaiah 1 earlier, the way in which God speaks and spells out very plainly uh, and graphically the sins of his people. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. I've only done them good. And what have they done? Well, they've rebelled against me. And the ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib. Uh, they understand where the good comes from and how they are to respond to uh, their master and owner. But my people doth not know, my people do not consider, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, and so on and so forth. He has issued this invitation, come, this holy God, to a sinful and a rebellious people that have turned their backs upon him and are doing all kinds of things that he has prohibited. 
and failing to do that which they ought to do uh, properly and with a sincere heart. Now, human logic might say, well, such a God would have nothing to do with those people. Uh, he might just stay silent, might say nothing to them at all. Uh, we hear that sometimes. When someone has uh, offended us so greatly, we might say, I'm sorry, I have nothing to say to you. The Lord might adopt that posture, say nothing to these sinful people. He might even say, go. Depart from me. Go. And there will come a day when he will. He has every right to do that. And yet the logic of gospel grace means that the Lord says, come. Come. Come unto me. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord of glory, uh, the Holy One of Israel, has issued this invitation so many times. So many times is it found throughout Scripture, and every time the Gospel is preached, the invitation goes out again, and still he holds out his hands to a gainsaying and to a rebellious people. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We read in John 7, in that great day, the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, let him come unto me. And then in the very, almost the last words of our Bible, Revelation 22 and verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Come. This is the logic of God's grace. This is the logic of the gospel. Yes, many refuse to come. They make a, um, all sorts of comments about it. They despise it. They show total disinterest in it. And you think, well, what's the point of keep repeating this invitation? If we send out invitations to uh, friends for uh, some uh, birthday party or whatever and nobody showed up uh, the next year we'd probably think twice about doing it but the Lord still keeps issuing his invitation come even though there are many that refuse but what is the purpose of this invitation uh, come for what purpose well Isaiah says uh, come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Uh, this is where we really see the heart of God's gospel grace. He invites us to reason together. Uh, now, God is a God of reason, a God of logic. Uh, he is a most reasonable God. The fact that you and I can have ordered thoughts, that we can make deductions uh, because of this, therefore this, uh, the fact that you and I can even talk to each other and that we can make sense. Uh, the fact that I trust your understanding what I'm speaking to you this morning. How, how is that possible? Uh, why is it not just all gobbledygook? Uh, what a terrible world it would be if nobody understood a word we said. But the reason you and I can make ourselves understood and express ourselves, explain things to others, and people understand that, was because God has put order in the universe. It's because he is a, God, a reasonable God, and therefore his creation reflects his character. Uh, there is no uh, basis, uh, as far as an atheist is concerned, why there should be logic and reason. They cannot appeal to anything. We can. Our God is 
the supreme mind and has put reason uh, in this world. The whole world around us points to him as such. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so God invites us to reason together with him. Now let me just make one thing clear before I uh, unpack this a little bit, uh, that we are not brought into the kingdom of God. We are not made Christians through reason. Uh, that, if that were true, that would disadvantage some and give a much greater advantage to others. Uh, because there are people who have bigger brains, have greater intelligence, and they would be such who would stand in a position to benefit because they have greater reasoning powers, humanly speaking. But no, uh, it isn't by reason that we enter into the kingdom, although that is what God would have us do as we come to him. He invites us to come and to reason together, literally to determine what is right, to determine what is right. Now you and I, we live in an age where the very categories of right and wrong are being disputed, if not outright rejected. Uh, people call good evil and evil good. Uh, and people will go so far as to say there's no such thing as right. There's no such thing as truth. Uh, I have my truth and you have your truth. Uh, it's the age of total subjectivity. But of course, there is right and there is wrong. And the Lord invites us to come and to determine what is right. Now, we would think, well, in view of who he is and who we are, well, that will not be a, uh, a comfortable conversation to have. He is a just judge. We deserve to be punished for our sins. And yet, uh, the logic of gospel grace indicates that by coming to speak with the Lord, uh, there is a positive outcome to be found. And that leads me on to my second point this morning, the discussion that takes place. Uh, come now and let us reason together, the Lord says. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What is it exactly that the Lord wants to reason about with Judah? What is it he wants to reason about with you? and me this morning to determine what is right but with respect to what well it is your sins now the word the bible uses a number of different words to describe the way in which we fail to do what god requires of us or in or doing what he has prohibited what he has forbidden uh, transgression uh, disobedience rebellion iniquity uh, these are just some of the words the Bible uses to uh, describe our condition. Because as those made in God's image, we are under his authority. He is the creator, he is the lawgiver, and we are to live uh, as he has determined, as he has instructed us. And contrary to what people think, his laws are uh, not grievous. They are actually good if, and a life is happy if lived for the Lord and lived in his way. The Lord has placed upon us the duty to follow him and to keep his commandments. Uh, he requires of uh, us, requires of us uh, complete and full obedience, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, 
everything is included, not only our actions and our words, but our thoughts, our motivations, our intents. But we have utterly failed. We have broken God's law. And we have come a long way short. And that really is the thrust of the word that Isaiah uses here, which we have translated simply as sins. It is our coming short of the standard that God has set. Uh, God has set a certain standard he expects us to meet. And it won't be 50% or 60% that he is at, he's pleased with. He, need, he requires 100% because he is a holy God. But we have come short. We have fallen short of God's target by the proverbial mile. Now it's interesting, just by way of an illustration here, that in archery, uh, Robin Hood and all of that, but the Olympics as well, you may have seen the uh, archery there, uh, of course, when the person is firing the arrow, they intend to hit the target, and ideally the bullseye. Uh, that is what you want to hit, that's what you're aiming for. But uh, perhaps uh, if you're not uh, very well practiced in archery, you're not very good, uh, your arrow doesn't actually make it to the target, and it falls short. Well, in archery, they actually call that arrow that falls short a sinner. It is a sinner, that arrow, and that is a picture of you and me. Uh, we've perhaps tried to aim at the target, and yet we fall short. We do not hit the bullseye. We don't even hit the target because we're so far short of God's standards. And so the Lord says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins. The Lord doesn't want to talk about sin in general. He doesn't want a theological discussion to speak about uh, causes and effect, consequences of sin, uh, different aspects of it. No, he wants to talk about sins in a personal way doesn't want to talk about somebody else's sins. He calls us to talk about our sins, your sins, my sins. This invitation is extended to us to come and talk about our sins. I wonder how that makes you feel. Uncomfortable? Reluctant? It means that you and I have to face up to what we really are. Not an exterior that we might present to the world, uh, but what we know we really are in our heart of hearts. Things that nobody else knows about. Things that we have thought, said and done. Uh, nobody wants to have a conversation like that by nature. Our tendency is to try and ignore what we are, to try and forget about those things I said and did that make me feel uncomfortable or to cover them up in some way, like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, uh, them getting fig leaves as a, a, a figure uh, to cover themselves up and in the hope that that would somehow screen them from God's gaze. Uh, they run and hit, uh, or we pretend differently, think about something else. This makes us naturally feel uncomfortable. We re recoil from such a conversation because we fear what will happen if we start talking about our sin. We know it's wrong and we know that wrong deserves punishment and so rather uh, than even get started with that conversation we don't even want to start because our conscience accuses we know, we know God is just and we can only think of one outcome. But my friends God wants to discuss your sins and mine not so that he can condemn us but so that he can clear us because we read of our saviour in John chapter 3 and verse 17 
that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world that the world through him might be saved. That was his whole purpose in coming. That is what people will do well to remember, particularly at this time of year. Why is he there in the manger at Bethlehem? Why was he born of the Virgin Mary? Uh, Not so that we can have nice little nativity sets and, and sing a few carols. No, he's come there because he intends to save human beings, men and women, boys and girls like you and I, from our sins. Well, this is gospel grace. He intends to talk us through our sins in order that we can clear them. Uh, Perhaps like uh, some lawyer and we find ourselves in uh, a spot of bother and we go to him and hopefully he can find a way whereby he can clear our name in the right way. But so much more is God's grace because he can actually forgive and not simply perhaps twist the law in order to get out of something. So come now, the Lord says, and let us reason together. Let us talk about your sins in such a way that they can be cleared. But where can such a discussion take place? That is often the problem for two parties that are at odds. And make no mistake, the sinner is at odds with God. We are at enmity with God, Paul says. He is a holy God. He has righteous laws. We are sinners. We have not kept them. And it would seem logically impossible that a meeting place could be found for such a God and such sinners. It was so difficult often for uh, parties who are in a great argument about something to find somewhere where they can meet and sort things out. Uh, Cast your mind back 800 years. uh, King John, the infamous King John that the barons brought to heal because he was overtaxing them and um, not ruling honorably. Well, they wanted to meet with him. Where were they going to meet? Well, they met him at a place called Runnymede, where Magna Carta was signed, of course. But why Runnymede? Well, because the king lived at Windsor, and the barons were based at Staines, and Runnymede was halfway in between. A meeting place was found. Well, where is the meeting place, my friends, that you and I, as uh, sinners, can meet with a holy God? Well, it is... The place spoken of in Psalm 85, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It's the place where God's truth can be upheld, and yet where mercy can be shown. It's where righteousness is satisfied, and yet peace is the outcome. This is the place. It is the place that the hymn writer spoke of uh, beneath the cross of Jesus. Awesome place, uh, where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. It is at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary. This is the only place that a holy God and sinners like you and I can meet and have this discussion, this reasoning process with regard to our sins. Why? Why is Calvary the only place? Well, it is only at the cross that God dealt with sin, uh, put away the sins of his people, punished his own son so that sinners might go free. And so his justice is satisfied because he looks down the list of offenses that you and I have committed and he says, no, Christ has paid that. Christ has paid that. His justice is satisfied. And so he can say to the sinner, my son has suffered. You can go free. So by Christ suffering the penalty of our sin, being made a curse, Paul says, and punished by our God in our place, 
he can forgive and justify sinners like you and I. God cannot and he will not reason with sinners in any other way or in any other place. If we try and take the conversation off, no, God will say, no, this is where we must come to. We must come beneath the cross of Jesus. This is the only place where a reasonable discussion can be had about our sins. Oh, my friend, if you would have this discussion with God, you must get to the cross. And uh, not only the very first time when we uh, pass from death into life, from the darkness of unbelief to the light of the gospel, not only that first time, but, but we must keep coming back because we sin daily. We must keep coming back to the cross, uh, hearing the constant invitation of our God to come and reason together with him. So there is that invitation, there is the discussion that takes place, all surprising, all wonderful, because of the way God approaches this in his mind, which is so far above ours. But thirdly, and finally this morning, uh, let us see the declaration that is made. He says concerning our sins, though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The heart of the gospel, my friends, is a declaration. It is a statement of what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ, for sinners like you and me. Every other religion, great or small, is a religion of do this and perhaps you'll gain paradise, heaven, nirvana, whatever it is in the, in the hereafter. But the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is not do, but done. It has been done. And this, uh, of course, in Isaiah's day is what was promised because they were the other side of the cross. Jesus Christ had not yet come. And so they were promised that these things would be true because of what God had already promised and what he would certainly fulfill. In our day, of course, we look back and we see it as having been accomplished because Christ has come. He has been born. He lived as a young man, a middle-aged man, went to the death of the cross, rose again, and returned to his Father in glory. And here the Lord declares to us what he will do with our sins if we come together with him and reason with him. He says that even if they are the deepest red, uh, the, the darkest red you could think of, the most powerful dye, they will be as white as snow. All, he says, your filthiness, your guilt will be washed away. There will not be one stain left. Uh, there is something, isn't there, about the purity of newly fallen snow. It's just pure white. There's not a mark in it. Uh, of course, we don't have snow so much. Uh, in this country, we had a sprinkling the other week. I don't know if you've got any here, but where I was for three and a half years in America in Grand Rapids, we used to get bucket loads of it, uh, 12, 15 inches in a night sometimes. And just to look out at it in the morning before you had to um, tackle the practicalities of getting through it, uh, but it was a beautiful sight, all that purity. And the Lord says, yes, your sins, uh, they will be so removed, so cleansed, there will be nothing, no trace of their defilement left whatsoever. And the whiteness of snow points to that inherent whiteness and purity, something that has not been manufactured. It's, it's of itself, it's true, it's pure. 
And that is what God says he will do for the sinner if we come to him. He says he will do this. All the old things will be passed away. All new things will come for the one who is the new creature in Christ. We caught that, didn't we, in the hymn that we sung a few moments ago, 527 uh, rather 488 wasn't it Uh, forgotten the the hymn numbers there Uh, this is the problem when you go uh, away from your notes Uh, but the the end of verse 2 the past shall be forgotten a present joy be given a future grace be promised a glorious crown in heaven now that is what the past will be forgotten all our sins the great mountains of them the things that trouble us that stay with us that we cannot forget try though we may God says he will cast them like one great mass into the depths of the sea they will sink without trace and never be seen again and that is the grace of the gospel this is what God delights to do for those who have broken his laws transgressed them, fallen short rebelled against him and so he sends people like Isaiah and preachers today to make known this wonderful grace that Jesus Christ has died there is forgiveness for the worst sinner and a new start is promised for any who will come and receive this salvation there are times aren't there in our lives when someone will come up to us and tell us the most astonishing news and we have to tell them can you just tell me that again is that really true perhaps as we hear this declaration again a sense of wonder is that really true that these wicked rebellious sinners God would deal with them in such a way he would reason together with them and he'll say all your sins I'll I'll take care of it I have taken care of it in Christ they'll wash you clean again is that really true well yes it is because notice the emphasis though your sins be as scarlet not they may be not they probably will be they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool we get offers on the internet and they posted through our doors uh, saying this and this for a certain price and we think well that looks rather almost too good to be true and then we read down a bit further and find it is too good to be true my friend that cannot be said of the gospel it is far better than we could ever conceive of. I hath not heard, seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But the Spirit has revealed them unto us, at least in a measure, the wonder of the gospel of what God will do for sinners such as you and I. This is sure, this is certain, they shall be. doesn't matter who the sinner is. This certainty is as true for them as it is for the next person because God never breaks his word. I don't know who it was that said it. Someone uh, long before said once God is a gentleman he never breaks his word. And he's promised again and again and again that if we come to him, if we confess our sins as John put it 1 John 1 and verse 9 he is faithful and he is just. He is faithful that he he will honour his word he will do what he has said And he is just, he will uphold the standards of his own law, and yet he will clear the sinner. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. There is no doubt here, my friends, only perfect certainty. The perfect certainty of the gospel. Where does this text find you this morning, my friend? The Lord issues this invitation, come. Come now. Come now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. But come now. For all of us. Come now. We need not fear coming to the Lord and being open about our sins, our failures, because He is a God of grace. And we can take this text and run with it to the Lord and say, Lord, you've said that you want to have a discussion with me about my sins, my filthy, black, vile sins, innumerable sins. And yet you've said that though they are red like crimson, red like scarlet, I I feel, I sense their defilement. You can wash me white as snow. Lord, do that. Do that for Jesus' sake. Do that for your glory. How will you respond, my friend, to this wonderful invitation of the gospel this morning? How will you respond? There's only two ways you can respond. And Isaiah spells them out in the uh, two verses that follow. And with this I close. If ye be willing and obedient, he says, ye shall eat the good of the land. That is, there will be blessings untold if you come. If you be willing and obedient, just to heed the voice of Jesus Christ. But, he says, if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. It is a solemn and inescapable truth that those that refuse uh, this invitation of the gospel that run away from God, that will not face their sins, even though God wishes to forgive them and do them good, they will know everlasting destruction. Oh, may we be those that come, have this wonderful discussion with God about our sins. Yes, the pangs of guilt are there, but then there is the voice of Jesus Christ saying to us that though your sins, though they are so filthy and vile, I have made them clean in the blood of my cross and you have a bright prospect of being totally, completely white forever and ever. Amen. Our closing hymn is 548 548 based on Psalm 51 Show pity Lord O Lord, forgive. Let a repenting rebel live. Are not thy mercies large and free? May not a sinner trust in thee. 548.
Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.